When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Hi, everybody. Well, once again, it's Friday. And that must mean it's questions and answers with me, Don McDonald, on Talking Real Money. Glad you decided to listen to our podcast. Thanks so much for telling others about it, for listening really religiously, and for sending your questions in, either calling them in at 855-935-TALK or recording them at TalkingRealMoney.com. With the proliferation of really good USB microphones, Some of those calls are those questions that are sent in at TalkingRealMoney.com sound great. For those of you who haven't made the jump yet, a good USB microphone can be had for $100 or so. A good one. Pretty darn good one. So um, you might want to consider that because so much of our communication is going to be done over computers. You already know that. If you've ever done a Zoom call or a FaceTime or a, a video messenger or something with someone, you know. And the mics make a big difference. Audio is a big part of our experience. So uh, get a good mic and then send your questions in at uh, TalkingRealMoney.com or just call them in on your phone at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And today, this is the day when I try to cram in as many of your questions as I possibly can. And we're going to start with one that was phoned in to 855 Nine three five talk. Hey guys, this is uh, Nick in Ohio. Appreciate all the uh, the work you guys do, all the uh, the great information. Um, it, it's truly appreciated by by some of those amateurs out there. Um, got a, a, a I think a short question, but I'm uh, genuinely curiously how uh, curious excuse me how you would uh, answer it. So uh, I'm in my early 30s. I have a very high risk tolerance. Uh, high 80s, I believe, was my score uh, when I took it uh, some weeks ago. Um, and now I, I'm 100% stocks, as is, because like I said, early 30s, got plenty of time ahead of me. Um, and, and I don't look frequently. I, I know there's volatility involved, and I'm fine with just riding it out for, for the long haul. My question is, so you talk about value stocks having, you know, small value stocks having the potential for greater return, but also the potential for greater volatility. So I'm, I'm curious, um, if, if you kind of take the diversification uh, portion to the side, if I have a high tolerance of risk, uh, and I want to move all my money into to small value, is that? I, I'm sure it's not a good idea, but I'm, I'm just curious how you how you justify that. Is is the diversification the only thing that's keeping me back? Uh, just knowing that there could be big dips, or uh, or, or is there more to it than uh, than that? I'd be curious uh, curious on your answer on that, guys. Thanks. Nick, thanks for the call. Thanks for the great question. And it is a really great question because, I, in fact, I was working on my retirement presentation and one of my slides shows the difference between investing in the entire U.S. stock market 
versus the small cap market going back to the 20s and (laughs) the returns on small caps are just astonishing i mean small cap stocks haven't just beaten large company stocks they've walloped them over the course of a century however that doesn't mean they always win we can have extended periods during which small company stocks perform horribly losses can in bad years well exceed the worst case scenario the worst case expectation for uh, the overall stock market of about a 50 percent loss based on history you can get into the 70s and 80s and when your portfolio is getting reasonably large when it's small that doesn't hurt as much but when it's starting to get up there into the six figures a 75 or 80 percent decline can look like the end of the world so would you could you (laughs) i sound like a dr seuss book would you could you in a tree would you could you on your knee uh (laughs) that's not the book i I don't know what what i think the tree parts in green eggs and ham but how you it's psychology oh it's so difficult yes i do believe i do believe you could make a lot more money long term but i can't guarantee that i'm just looking backward by investing in small cap value but boy is that gonna be a wild wild ride and one that will at some point be incredibly frightening and it's that it's that fright that drives us to encourage more massive diversification now here's what you might want to do as you're younger overemphasize small cap value and then create a small cap value reduction glide path as your assets build and your age increases and very likely your psychological comfort level falls some because remember the risk quiz is not foolproof people can trick it and we feel better about risk it's it's absolutely proven that we feel better about risk in times when the market has been doing well we are we are more concerned about risk when we're seeing declines like we are today so uh it's the answers of course Uh, not a one-size-fits-all and you test right for it to have more small cap and value and even things like emerging markets but uh, i wouldn't go hog wild wouldn't go crazy thanks so much for the call once again our phone number is 855-935-TALK and our next question also comes to us via that phone number yes uh tom and don big fans of the show Looking forward to retire meet coming up. Unfortunately, I will not be able to attend in person and we'll be streaming the uh, retire meet. I was wondering if there's any way to get the materials 
and presentation ahead of time to follow along with the presenters or if we will have the option to download them as they are presenting. Thank you very much. Again, you guys do a great job and I really enjoy the show. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear you're attending Retire Meet and uh, we had a lot of people joining you. We're, uh, I think we're up to about a thousand for the virtual. So I am, I'm not involved in the planning of it anymore. Now that we've been acquired by a bigger company, there are people who do this, but I would imagine, because I know we have in the past uh, made materials available for download, some of them anyway. So there should be some links at retiremeet.com to do that during the, the, the day of the event. I can't imagine it'll happen, uh, happen beforehand. And I know I am personally not a big fan of handouts. <laughs> I, I, I don't want a lot of, I don't have a lot of numbers in my presentation. I have a lot of facts, but not a lot of numbers. So uh, I might have a couple of small things, but it uh, won't be big handouts. But thanks for your interest, and I look forward to uh, working with you on Retire Meet. That's coming up on the 14th of May, 2022, if, you've, if you hear this before then. And if you are attending virtually, it's free. Just go to retiremeet.com and sign up. Retire, M-E-E-T, or I know. You can also misspell it, M-E-A-T, if you want. Let's take yet another question. This one came in from TalkingRealMoney.com on a computer. Hello, Tom and Don. Don and Tom. I'm 46 years old and plan to retire at 55. I estimate I'll need 60K in retirement. I am using a retirement of 40 years for planning purposes. I have a pension that's not cost of living adjusted, and it will pay out about 27K starting at age 62. Social Security is estimated to pay out about $30,000 starting at age 67. I took your risk quiz. I scored a 64. Um, I have about $780,000 between a 401k, a Roth IRA, and a taxable brokerage account. I hold equities only in my Roth and my after-tax account. I hold equities and fixed income in my 401k. I'm currently maxing out my 401k and Roth via the backdoor method, and I save another $48,000 a year into the after-tax brokerage account. I don't have any debt. I have a fully funded emergency fund and a savings account. My current asset allocation between the three accounts I'm using for retirement is 85% stocks and 15% bonds. I'm currently on a glide path to 70% stocks and 30% bonds over the next nine years as I near my retirement. My stock holdings consist of VTI and VXUS, with VXUS being 20% of those equities. My bond holding is split 50-50 between BND and SCHP. In your opinion, am I on track to retire at 55 and have my money last the 40 years? Is there anything you would recommend I do differently with the portfolio or anything else I should consider to ensure that I'm on track? Thank you very much for your time, and I really enjoy the show. Looks to me like you are very likely to be in good shape. Let's look at uh, some of the possibilities. You say you have 780000 You need 60000 a year at the current uh, in the current environment to live. So... $60,000 a year, you could, uh, well, I mean, if you retire, were retiring today, you could probably make this work. But you're in good shape, I think, for the longer haul 
for nine years out. Because look at it this way. Let's say the 780 you have right now grows at a more conservative rate than a, a, an 85-15 or an 80-20 or a 75-25 portfolio has grown over the past several decades. Let's just be more conservative. You're still going to be looking at, just from that, over a million dollars, a million to a million, three or four even, possibly, probably. Then you're putting away about 70K a year for the next decade. Well, that that can probably, probably that'll get close to a million dollars, but let's say 700, you're really close to 2 million at age 55. Now, using the 4% rule as a guide, which has been a very good rule of thumb, I, my preference is use 4% uh, or 5% flexible. Don't adjust it for inflation. Take out that amount of your portfolio every year because if you do that, if you were to take out 4% a year, you're looking at $80,000 a year at 55. And, and you haven't started collecting your pension or Social Security yet. So what you could do is, and you could wait to take Social Security and let that increase by 8% per year. Then when you're 62, you could start taking the pension, and that will reduce your annual withdrawals by 27, which will further maintain and and exceed uh, increase the life of your portfolio. So by my calculations, you look to be in very good shape, just continuing to do what you do but i would seriously consider waiting until 70 to take social security and living off your portfolio living off your portfolio 100 between 55 and 62 then living off your portfolio about 70 30 until 70 and then bringing the social security in to reduce the amount you're taking out of your portfolio even even more so i think you're in great shape Thanks for the call. Good job. Next up, we get a call from 855-935-TALK on this Friday edition of Talking Real Money. Okay. Okay. Uh, good morning or good afternoon, guys. I have uh, one of my ETFs that I own is DFAU, which is the Dimensional Fund Advisors. Uh, basically, I, I, let's say it's one version of the S&P. Uh, as I'm looking at it right now, it's Monday morning, about 10.45. The Dow and the S&P are up approximately, I know you guys don't go by the Dow, but I'm just saying, point of reference, they're up 0.30. Both of them are up 0.30. The DFAU is up 0.07. And this has been going on for about two weeks or so. It being When it's up, it's up half or a third of what, others are. And I'm trying to understand, is that is the DFAU an S&P? Because it seems to be an S&P, uh, you know, a copycat of an S&P. And I'm not quite sure why it's, it, it's radically different. I mean, a third or a quarter of what the S&P is right now, 0.29 versus 0.06. You know, there's something going on, and I don't quite know what it is. I know this ETF is only about a year and a half old. But uh, I really believe in what DSA does. But I can't understand why such a discrepancy in uh, the price, you know, especially when good days produce very little, a lot less. 
And it's just all over the place. They just don't correlate in any way to the S&P, and I thought it would be. Again, this is Peter from sunny Vegas. Thank you for the, your time, and I appreciate the answer. Have a nice day. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Well, Peter, I can understand your concern, but it's based on some misinformation. The DFAU, the Dimensional U.S. Core Equity ETF, is not a proxy for the S&P 500. It's not meant to be in any way, shape, or form similar to the S&P 500. It is a way more diversified portfolio with a tilt to smaller companies and value that make it behave differently than the S&P 500. You cannot look at the at the the S&P 500 and get uh, use that as a proxy for this either. Because in in the S&P 500 you have the 500 biggest companies in the US. In the DFA you have 2500 companies. You have much broader diversification. You've got a whole lot of more risky asset classes in there. You have a lot more risky stocks, the kind of stocks that do worse in a bear market um, when people are, are when money is fleeing the dangerous, the more aggressive stuff, and moving to quality, moving into defensive sectors. So this is not a fund to compare to the S&P 500, and this is one of the problems, this is one of the reasons why I don't ever compare my portfolio to what the market is doing. My portfolio is light years from the S&P 500. I've got emerging markets, and I've got small cap, and I've got value, and I've got real estate. I've got all this stuff in my portfolio, and it doesn't move in lockstep with the S&P 500. Sometimes it's much worse. Other times it's way better. And that's sort of been the history of uh, of DFA's approach, is they have times when they really, really do well. Um, matter of fact, I, th- I believe in 2021 they beat the index. Again, it's a newer fund. Um, and then this year, they're, oh, let's see, are they underperforming the index? Uh, actually, no, year to date, they're actually losing a little bit less than their, their, their the index to which they're compared, which is not the S&P 500. Let's just see what the S&P 500 has done over that same period. Um, I just want to double check my numbers so that I'm comparing apples to apples as of the date I'm speaking this. Uh, actually, the S&P 500 and this dimensional fund, despite the differences you're seeing anecdotally on a day-to-day basis, have had exactly, <laughs> as of the 29th of April, the S&P 500 is down just under 10%. And the dimensional U.S. core equity is down just over 9%. So it's actually done a little tiny bit better. Can't watch it day to day. Don't do it. it it'll it make you crazy. 855-935-TALK is the phone number that call came in on. But also we get questions sent into us at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. They're actually coming in recorded. And that's kind of nice. And that's what our next one is. Hey, Don. 
Thank you for sharing your experiences and continuously teaching us. Here's what I need your input on. A friend of mine who has a CFP advisor who charges a reasonable 0.7% on total money invested. Recently, with the poor bond yields and rising interest rate environment, the advisor added a 10% allocation to alternative investments. The three funds that make up the 10% allocation are as follows. 25% in the Blackstone REIT Income Trust Class S Broker Class, 25% in the Starwood REIT Income Trust Class S Broker Class, and 50% in the Partners Group Private Equity Master Fund Class A. Am I missing anything on being skeptical here? I see a potential 3.5% sales load up front in the literature, but no evidence in the transactions on the monthly statement that this load was deducted. All three funds have high expenses and 12B1 trailing commissions. If REITs were suggested as a bond component, would Vanguard or Advances, REIT's ETFs, get the job done in a more defensive way? Looking at the short-term track record, the non-traded REITs are going up, but the ETFs from Vanguard and Avantis are both down. Please educate us on your thoughts on the advisor move above. Thank you. <laughs> Have you touched on what is uh, what is fast becoming a very sensitive topic in this industry? Um, you have to remember... I've been around here for a very, very, very long time, and I've seen lots of fads come and lots of fads go. And I've seen all kinds of people claiming they came up with the latest hot thing to turn lead into gold. And so many clients, and therefore their advisors, are desperate to figure out a way to get more income on that fixed income side of the ledger. I'm going to give you my opinion. And I got to tell you, a lot of CFAs and professionals out there disagree with me because they think they've got numbers on their side. And I got to tell you, I got logic on mine. This makes no sense. Okay, the non-publicly traded REITs, well, <laughs> they say they're going up, but that's like you saying the value of your house is going up. You don't know it's going up until you try to, or it's gone up until you sell it to somebody. Do you really at any given moment know what your house is worth? You don't know unless you subject it to the whims of the marketplace. So you can't really know what non-publicly traded REITs are worth. It's based on appraisals. And gee, is there something we've learned in the past during real estate excitement about the quality of appraisals? Huh? Can they be manipulated? Ever happened? Then there's the issue of expenses. I believe in a very simple concept that the more an investment manager charges, either the less you make or the more risk they must take. The problem is many of these 
impressively credentialed folks are really, really good at the process of massive obfuscation. They don't know what these things are going to do in the future. They're basing a lot of their decision-making on back-testing and, and hope because they're in the business of making lots of money, as you can see by their expenses. If your friend did not have a percentage of their portfolio in real estate, I think they, they were being done a disservice. However, if, and I too, if I was going to say, if I own real estate in my portfolio, and I do, I would want it in the form of publicly traded REITs because then, my friends, I'm going to know what it's worth in the market, in the marketplace that is the best judge of value, period. Then these folks are going to know who are running these non-traded REIT deals. Do I think your friend is being done a disservice? Yes, I do. Do I think a lot of major firms, a lot of firms that I used to respect are doing the same thing? Yes, I do. I don't believe there's a place in any portfolio for expensive, complex investment vehicles that have a high degree of illiquidity. Look, illiquidity is dangerous. High fees are detrimental. I don't know how you manage to create a formula where suddenly I can get higher returns, charge people more money, and provide them with less risk. That's magic. That's alchemy. And again, some big names are going to tell me I'm crazy. We'll see who's right, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be me down the road because I'm telling you, a lot of these things are going to turn out to be bad deals and I can't you know, I don't have the time or the, or the ability. I can't even get into these people's portfolios and look at them. But you're going to find that problems will occur, at least in some of them, if not many of them. Sure, some will do all right. Do you know which ones? Thank you so much for that question. It was great. Now we're going to take another one that came in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, this is Amethyst in Pennsylvania. I'm with Edward Jones, and I just know I need to get away from them as soon as possible. And uh, right now I'm working this crazy night shift at a nuclear plant, and it's it's going to end really soon. But uh, I want to have all the paperwork already for when I contact your advisors. I want to have the information, the paperwork. What you know? What questions are they going to ask me so I can at least be gather that information now? So when I do get laid off from this this outage that I'm on, I can set up an appointment right away and already be prepared. I can't find uh, a list on your website to let me know. And, and I'm, I'm a list maker and I'm just somebody that likes to be prepared. <laughs> All right. Thank you. A list is such a good idea. I'm going to suggest that to the powers that be. I don't know why I didn't think of that before, but that's a really good idea. Just put a list at the website that says here, before you talk to an advisor, you might want to get these things together i got to tell you, you don't have to do much. <laughs> Our advisors will help you get all the stuff together. But if you want to be really well prepared, the only thing you need to do, uh, because they're going to ask you all the right questions, 
because there's the, the difference between an Ed Jones broker or an Ameriprise broker or a Merrill Lynch broker, whomever. A good fee-only advisor is going to start by asking you about you. We want to know about you before we want to know about your portfolio. And then what we want to know about, not only is the portfolio that is held at Edward Jones or any other brokerage firm, but we also need to know about your other assets. What's in a 401k? What, what do you have in, in IRAs or 401s from other jobs? What might your pension eligibility be down the road? Things like that. So really all you need to do is grab your last quarter statements. And these are the ones that came in in early April. Just gather those up in a pile on the table or scan them even better. As you get them, scan them. If you don't have a scanner, if you have most phones like the iPhone, if you go into the notes app and click on the camera button, there's a scan choice there and it does an incredibly good scan of whatever it is you put under the camera. Incredibly good scan. Then when it's time to have your meeting, you've set up the appointment, you can then email those documents in and the advisor can look them over and have enough information to ask you some great questions about what you want in the future and what needs to be done with what you have and what's right about what you have. And we'll tell you what's right and what's wrong about what you have. And if you've got some good stuff in there, they leave that alone. But that is a great idea. I love the list idea. I will pass that along. Thanks so much. And uh, hang in there on the night shift. We appreciate you doing it. Our next question comes from the phone. 855-935-TALK, where you can call us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and leave your question just like this. Hi, Don and Tom. This is Jim from Alabama. I've recently started listening to your show. And I'm 66 years old and considering retirement either this year or maybe next. I'm currently invested in Vanguard and Fidelity funds. I'm holding a 50-50 mix of bonds and equities. And I also hold one fund outside of that, uh, Dodge and Cox uh, income fund. But I'm trying to figure out the correct strategy for either retiring this year or next and the correct allocation mix, uh, being in equities and bonds. The bonds portion has kind of thrown me because this is one of those unique years where both equities and bonds are down. I'd appreciate any suggestions. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you started listening. Thank you. And your portfolio. See, the thing about portfolios is, first off, they have to be the right mix for you. They have to be allocated properly. And 50-50 is actually a relatively conservative allocation. Um, and it's not a matter of age. It's more a matter of inclination, need, and tolerance. I would first suggest you go take our risk quiz at TalkingRealMoney.com. That's free. That will give you an idea of what your risk tolerance is. Then you've got to figure out how much you need this portfolio to make for you. And that's what it really comes down to. You can't just say this is the right mix. No, because it may be you need to take more risk. 
It depends on what you need to take out of the portfolio, how much income you need it to generate, and that's got to be part of a bigger plan. And this is why we talk so much about that boring, boring concept of planning. Planning. Planning is boring. It's oppressive. It's a pain in the neck. But what you have to do is sit down and figure out what are my sources of income without this portfolio in retirement, and that'll give you the number that you need to get from this portfolio. And then you kind of have to look back at the past and say, how might this have done in the past? And chop a little bit off of that to be a bit more conservative and then see if with your current allocation, you will be there or close to there. If you will be there and in excess of there, then you can become even more conservative, if you'd like, with your portfolio. Because you don't want to take more risk than you need to take either. So it's and I, I know I, every time I say this, I know it sounds like a cop-out, but it's not. It's complicated. And so many people try to make it easy, and it's not. It requires some work. And again, that is why we have pledged for so long to make our advisors available to talk anyone, Jim, anyone, through this process to spend a little time with you, asking you those right questions. How much do you have from here? How much, how much do you just make? How much risk can you take? That kind of stuff. If you take the risk quiz in advance, helps a lot. Uh, but you know, if you want to do that, it really is free, and it really doesn't cost anything, and you're really not going to get a sales pitch, I promise. You can call and yell at me on the live show on Saturdays if anybody does that, but they've never done it because they won't. Just go to vestory.com. That's V-E-S-T-O-R-Y.com. That's the website for our firm, Vestry by Appella, and just go down to the bottom of the page and set up an appointment. Take the risk quiz there, too. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. And up next, we're back to the, the questions that, come, that uh, came in, come in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, good morning. I'm a longtime listener, and I would like to get your advice on an alternative to my savings, I've been saving for a um, down payment to purchase a home, but it looks like buying a home at this moment is unattainable due to the uh, competitiveness of uh, the buyers and it's a seller's market. I'm wondering if it would be a good alternative to move my savings account to a um, Roth or not really a retirement account, but to invest in stocks um, or, you know, ETFs. Um, but would that make it easy to pull money out if I do find a home that would be potentially a buy for me? Thank you. I totally get what you want to do, and I understand why you want to do it. With bank interest rates at <laughs> the next best thing to zero, and they're really not much better than zero. I know, at least not in my bank. Um, I just don't think stocks are a good option. I know it's tempting because when well, you look back and you go, well, stocks have made you know, 10 15% per year over the past several years, and I've made nothing. Well, why don't I go make more? You can get your money out if you go into ETFs. I would not buy individual stocks ever. But... If you put a hundred thousand in today or ten thousand in today, and you this house comes up in six months, but the stock market is down, 
Well, your 10000 could be 8000 could be 7000 could be $5,000. And that's a lot worse than making only one-tenth of one percent. If it's money that you think you might use in the next year or two to buy a home, I would just search for the best high-yield savings rates, because you want liquidity, that you can find. And the best high-yield savings rate right now is about eight-tenths of one percent, just under one percent. And you can get some information on the better rates if you go to bankrate.com. They've got a whole list of them. But no, I would not suggest equity ETFs, because while you can make a lot on the upside, there have been times when you would have lost a lot on the downside. As a matter of fact, in a portfolio of 100% stocks, really well diversified, even after five years, you could be down a double-digit amount. And that's painful. Most people can't stand it. I know I'm running a little bit long, but I had a list of questions I wanted to get through, and there's still one more on that list. So let's get that in and get the heck out of here. This one came from TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, Don. I was wondering if you could help me with something. Um, I own three ETFs that my dad recommended. Um, the ticker symbols are 1, DSL, 2, PDI, 3, GVD. And my dad told me to sell DSL because it's not doing anything for me. But before I do, I wanted to get a second opinion. Um, also, what do you think of all three of these ETFs? Thank you so much. Oh, we saved the hardest question for last. Because, you know, I'm a dad. I have three daughters. And it's funny, I've been giving financial advice professionally for almost 40 years. And they don't take my advice. (laughs) They don't even want it. And you're listening to your dad when he shouldn't be giving advice. I hate to say anything bad about anyone's father because I'm sure he's a lovely father in so many ways. But my guess is, just looking at the funds he suggested, the ETFs, that your father is an avid viewer of CNBC or Fox Business. It's just a guess. Because he's getting some really bad information from somewhere. And it's not a good source. Let me tell you a little bit about what you own. Because you asked. The one he wants you to get rid of, DSL. DSL. Good old Jeffrey Gunlach. That is the... Double Line Income Solutions Fund. Income Solutions. You know, when they have extra words thrown in like solutions, there's probably something wrong. Well, the first thing that's wrong is the expense ratio. You get a nice income fund from Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab. You're going to pay about one-tenth of one percent or less. This is just to put things in perspective. Have you ever looked at what the double line income solutions ETF charges and expenses? Yeah, it's 1.83% per year, almost 2% per year to buy, get this, one of the most frightening portfolios of bonds I think I have ever seen in my entire life. This thing is all over the place. It can go any which way there, there uh, there's foreign stuff in there there's oh 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 
This is a scary, volatile bond fund. And bond funds have been volatile enough without adding volatility. It's ridiculously expensive. I absolutely agree you should get out. But the thing is, is I think you should get out of all of them. And I think you should say, Dad, in the future, if, actually, here's the best way to do it. When Dad gives you financial advice in the future, say, thank you, Dad. I'll, I'll go check into those. And then you call us. <laughs> because you're not getting good advice. This is not. Let's talk about your others. PDI. PIMCO. Dynamic income. See, there's a modifying uh, word in there. That modifier tells you they're doing something crazy. And that craziness is, well, they're long and they're short and they borrow money. They've got their portfolio is 209% in bonds. Wait, how is it 209%? They borrow money to buy more bonds. But wait, on the other side of the ledger, they short sell bonds. So these guys figure they know more than the market. They, they're smarter than the market, but they're not. And the quality of the portfolio is horrific. And the performance, the performance hasn't been anything ever. Really. It's just, wow. Um, that, to me, that's another one that should just be sold. Oh, and I forgot to mention the best part, the expense ratio on that. And with an expense ratio like this, how can they ever expect to make money for their clients when bonds are paying less than 2% per year on average, government bonds paying less than 2% per year on average, and they charge 2.78% per year? How can that in any universe be justified. And finally, we have the cheapest one of the bunch. You said GVD, but I think you meant GDV. I think. That's the only one I can guess. And that's the Gabelli Dividend and Income Fund, which is the best of the bunch, but the best of the bunch isn't very good. They buy dividend-paying stocks. And dividend-paying stocks should provide a, a less volatile portfolio than just regular stocks, yet this portfolio has underperformed the index pretty substantially, the S&P 500 pretty substantially. And part of that, again, is due to the expense ratio, which here is not as bad. It's 1.28%. But again, you can get a really nice, broadly diversified stock fund for one-tenth of a percent or less so in this fund, you're paying 12 times more than a good index fund. You need to rethink the way you invest completely from the ground up. Uh, the good news is that when you sell these, it looks like you if you bought them recently, you're going to have a tax loss. That'll be fun because that'll reduce your taxes down the road. But uh, you, need a, you need a complete rethink on your portfolio, complete rethink. And the advice needs to come from someone other than dad uh, preferably someone like us <laughs> who doesn't. We Tom and I do not watch CNBC or Fox Business because all it would do would it would fill our heads with useless garbage, useless garbage. It's just hour upon hour of useless garbage. 
noise that serves no purpose to real investors. It serves a great deal of purpose to the investment industry. That's why they're on there all the time. Oh, thanks for the question. Thank you all for being a part of the Friday podcast. I got to tell you, this was one of the more fun Q&As in a while. Great questions. Really great questions. Wow. You guys are smart. Plus, you're, you're, you're personable. We got the best audience. We really do. And do you know, I, I, I was talking to somebody just recently about podcasts, somebody in the industry, and they said, oh, you got a podcast. How many downloads do you have a month? And I said, about, about 200,000. They went, their jaw dropped. They went, what? You have, over, you have about 200,000 downloads a month? I said, yeah. He goes, you're on a whole nother plane. And we are. We're on a whole nother plane because we got the best audience. And of course, you guys know that we're trying to make your life better. We're not doing this for us. We're doing this for you. That we benefit from it a bit, that's a bonus. But I've been doing this for you for 35 years, really, for you. I haven't made a lot of money <laughs> over those 35 years being a talk show host. I really haven't been offered a lot, but I didn't take it. So tell your friends, spread the word, uh, go to retiremeet.com to sign up, check out talkingrealmoney.com. If you like the podcast, leave a review at Apple Podcasts or rate it on Spotify. And it's awesome when you subscribe to the podcast because that helps boost our ratings, our numbers, our position in Apple Podcasts, which is literally the like eight ton gorilla in this industry. So thank you all. Thanks for being there. I look forward to talking to you again real soon. As a matter of fact, we talk. Oh, 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 I got to mention. I know you're ready to leave. Tomorrow, it's live talk. So questions and answers done live on Saturday at 855-935-TALK. And it'll just be me. Tom is out doing some things with uh, some old fraternity. And I do mean old fraternity brothers. Uh, really old fraternity brothers. So it'll just be you and me. So give me a call at 855-935-TALK between the hours of 3 and 5 Eastern time on Saturday, noon and 2 Pacific time. It's free and easy, and we can just talk about money conversationally. Take care of yourselves. I'm Don McDonald, hanging out, listening to questions, researching, and then talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?